0: Paltja, welcome. What is Celtic Paganism? I'm running this like just a little mini class and I'm going to put it up on YouTube after. uh, Hopefully it's going to be useful to people because there seems to be a lot of misinformation out there. So, I'm coming from an archaeological and historical background, Irish primarily. Mythologically, I don't know a huge amount about the other Celtic nations, but I do know archaeologically the facts and figures as far as we have them, because there is some kind of debate still going on in academic circles about it, but sure, we won't have to get into that today. We can just get started on what we do know, okay? So. My name is Laura O'Brien if you're not familiar as I said I'm an Irish Pagan and I have been teaching learning about this stuff for a very long time and I've worked professionally in Irish heritage tourism education and community development and all of those things so I identify as three which is the modern Irish term for uh, a user of magic basically a practitioner of our indigenous Irish spirituality. So that is me, and we're just going to look today briefly at some of the terminology and break it down for people. So we're going to look at Celtic and what Celtic means, and we're going to look at paganism in the context of the historic Celtic culture, break it down into animist and polytheist. Okay, we'll explain those terms as we go through. So Celtic, we talk about, or no, we don't. Uh, A lot of people talk about Celtic as if a people or a race and the Celts is a term that is used to identify an Indo-European ethno-linguistic grouping in Europe through history. These people or collection of tribes basically uh, a group of tribes or grouping of tribes were identified by ethnic linguistic and cultural factors. So ethnicity is looking at the commonality between People. It's not about race or genetics or nationhood or anything like that. Your ethnicity is the common cultural factors. And the linguistic commonality is the biggest identifier between trying to figure out what was Celtic and what wasn't. The time periods that we're dealing with, and some people might not be familiar, so I thought I'd just break this down as well. So we're looking at the Bronze Age and proto Celtic started in the Bronze Age. So we do see the first stirrings of commonality that. Would later go on to uh, be identifiers within the European Celtic culture. So in Europe, when we look at archaeological time periods, they're they're very much geographically based in different parts of Europe. Europe is big, right? So in different parts of Europe, you would see that there were different time periods identified for the Bronze Age. So the Bronze Age started after the Stone Age, basically, there were different eras through the Stone Age as well. But we're going to start from the Bronze Age. So the earliest really in Europe is the Aegean, which would, or Aegean, maybe I might be pronouncing that wrong. So excuse me for all my uh, Greek pronunciation familiar people out there. But it started in Greece anyway, around 3,200. And it did go into various different cultures, like beaker culture and Tumuli and various other ones. We're looking at that kind of 3200 BCE. So that's before common era, which is the the timeframes that I use before common era and common era starting at zero, what would be AD in the common parlance. So this goes through from 3200 BCE and ends around 600 BCE. And we do have this Atlantic European Uh, Bronze Age as well so that covers cultures in Portugal, Andalusia, Galicia, France, the island of Britain and the island of Ireland. Those are the geographic regions and you have this Bronze Age culture within those regions was about uh, 1300 to about 700 BCE and don't forget we're counting down as we get towards zero because we're going um, to this kind of zero point in time and then we start to count up then after that for the common era. In the Iron Age in Europe is really when um, what we would now know and identify and be most familiar with Celtic cultures would have started. So there are two to three main periods, really. We're looking at the Hallstatt culture, which uh, was about 800 to 450 BCE. And then it moved into the Latin period, spaced up around the Alps, 450 to about 1 BCE. So again, we're getting to that kind of zero point in time. And then the Roman period wasn't hugely active in Ireland. There are some Roman artifacts in Ireland, um, but the Roman period would be about 1 to 375 common eras. So we're counting up the way uh, from that. The Romans obviously spread out and we talk about the Roman period and the Roman culture, but there was the Celtic cultures that were running parallel to them and indeed fighting them. They were being uh, colonised by the Romans. In Ireland then, the Iron Age stops around the early medieval with the coming of Christianity, which began approximately 400s common era. We had some very early monasteries from about the 300s. And Christianity didn't properly take hold in Ireland at the start of its current form until around the 600s. So there's a couple of hundred years where there was this kind of crossover. But the Iron Age generally, uh, you would say it stopped around the 400s, maybe 500s common era in Ireland. There is an argument to be made for whether the island of Ireland could really be classed as part of the Celtic culture proper because we're insular and we didn't have the same kind of uh, roman invasions as the rest of europe was facing we split off a little bit uh, culturally so there are marked differences between irish uh, iron age and irish kind of celtic and uh, the expressions that were happening through that period even though they are rooted in The same or very similar Indo-European roots, linguistically as well as artefacts and culturally and all the rest of it. I did just want to note that Ireland is a little bit different, (laughs) as we ever are, but we're not going to get into the uh, ins and outs of the academic debate that goes on around that. The first mention of the Celts was as the Keltoi, where they were classed as an ethnic group specifically, was Hecatius of Miletus a Greek geographer from 517 BCE. So that's the first recorded mention of the Celts as an ethnic group and the first academic identification of this cultural collective. And it wasn't really until the 1700s that modern academia started looking back through history and on into the 18 and 1900s, of course, as well, started looking back through history and again, pulling out cultural identifications, which were deemed as Celtic. In modern terms, it started as an academic identification to try and differentiate what was happening archaeologically and anthropologically in Europe across similar timeframes. So this identification, this cultural identification, was based on similar languages, art, classical texts, material artifacts, social organization, homeland to a certain extent, and mythology. Uh, Again, to a certain extent, because obviously some of those records are patchy and we're feeling around in the dark to some extent with that. But there is a rich body of archaeological and historical evidence around these classifications of these various tribes and people as part of a Celtic ethnicity. Okay. So the Celts are not a race. There is no racial purity. This idea of this pure Celtic race is a fallacy. It's based on your ignorance and your bigotry and your fascism. So stop using our culture in this way. Celtic is a cultural and linguistic heritage, not a genetic heritage. OK, so even when it comes to genetics, if you have two siblings that were literally from exactly the same parents and you pick a random person off the street, there are as many genetic similarities between the random person off the street as there are between you and your siblings. So just stop this. It's ridiculous. And you're showing your ignorance. That being said, what we do have when we're talking in more modern terms about Celtic culture, what we have remaining are people from Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Cornwall, the Isle of Man and Brittany. So can you identify those places on a map Map of the Celtic Isles, as I like to call them? Please don't call them the British Isles because uh, that is colonial heritage talking. They are not the British Isles. They are quite clearly the uh, Celtic Isles. Moving then into paganism. So paganism is an umbrella term. Obviously there's historical paganism and neo-paganism. Animism generally is where we're seeing that Celtic people um, honoured the forces of nature. So they saw the world as inhabited by many spirits, multiple spirits, multiple beings, and that the divine was manifest in the natural world. So it's the idea of the divine in everything is animism. And animism itself is not inherently paganism as such but it is definitely falls under the the pagan uh, umbrella so for example i believe that you could be a generic christian and also see the divine in nature and see the divine in the natural world but i'm not sure theologically where that falls in whether it's monotheism or polytheism, where that classification comes in. And really it's up to you. You believe what you believe and that's fine, okay? The problem obviously comes when you try and uh, make other people believe what you believe, and that is not fine and never will be. So when we're looking at historical Celtic animism, there is this commonality of these kind of unshaped gods. The divine was not anthropomorphized. The gods were not given, or God was not given human form or forms. as far as we know, obviously I can't be speaking in definitives because I wasn't there or don't remember being there, if I was, and past lives and all the rest of it. So we have evidence of anthropomorphic identification of gods in the late Iron Age through the, the Celtic nation. With that then, we start moving into a more clearly defined polytheism. So monotheism is where you believe that there's one god only, one single god. Uh, polytheism would be multiple gods and animism could also be called pantheism in this context so you'd have Celtic pantheism rather than Celtic animism or both. Again it depends where your kind of definition of what the deity actually is. So you can see the deity in nature but if if your belief is monotheism then um, that's obviously different than pantheism which is where you see the divine in everything. A little bit confusing, I know, especially if you're not used to these terms. Just bear with me and we'll go through what polytheism is. So polytheistic religion, as I said, is about viewing the divine as multiple gods. And again, this is not generic god and goddess or it will be dual theism, actually, which would be a, a polarity of deity between anthropomorphized and gendered views of deity. But when we're looking at multiple gods, we are interacting with those gods as individuals, if you like, as fully formed and functional beings in their own right. And that to me is a kind of a core part of polytheism, that these are sentient, aware beings who have agency as deity. Okay. So we do see from the Roman period in the late Iron Age that there were texts and inscriptions which show specific gods. The priesthood was known as Druids, and again Druids is a bit of an umbrella term which um, covered many different roles and functions within the society from Brehon, which would be a judge, to a phylla, which would be a poet, which is not like poets we have now. Poets were actually one of the most revered members of Celtic societies. So Drew is, as I said, a little bit of an umbrella term for the the priesthood cast within societies. And again, I'm trying to talk in multiples. My brain keeps trying to bring me back to Irish stuff, but I'm trying to widen the net here a little bit. So do just be aware that is where I'm coming from is specifically the Irish experience. okay? and that's where my, my primary knowledge and personal experience would be with. So Celtic shrines all across Europe, again, widening the net, and Celtic shrines would have been in remote areas uh, such as hilltops, groves, lakes and groves of trees particularly. And we see it in Irish archaeology. It's interesting that sometimes with the coming of the Catholic Church, particularly if a baby died before it was baptised or if somebody died by suicide, they were thought to be in limbo. I'm not sure where the their current position is on limbo or purgatory. And they were not allowed a proper Christian burial. So communities got together and we have multiple sites pretty much in every town or village through the island. There's a place and it's a sacred place and we call them killings. So when you look at the archaeology maps, you can see Achilleen, so that would be C I L I Father N, and Achilleen would be either a very early ecclesiastical site or one of these baby graveyards, effectively, or um outsider graveyards uh, within communities. And the interesting thing, the reason I'm telling you about this is because quill is the old Irish term for woods or um, a grove. And That's the name that has stuck with these sacred sites, these very early sacred sites, or these sites that were very important within communities that families would have someplace special and someplace sacred to go to. In an abstract way, we talk about Celtic shrines in these remote areas. And that's a very concrete example from the Irish archaeological record. So we're just going to cover briefly Celtic neo paganism, very briefly, just to cover where this has all ended up in our modern pagan communities we have celtic reconstructionists so that would be people who go back to the records that we have and endeavor to reconstruct a spiritual or religious belief based as faithfully as possible on what was there and uh, what we know was there to varying degrees of success. Celtic neo-shamanism is based on, again, a modern concept of what's called core shamanism, where it's looking at commonalities between different shamanic cultures worldwide and finding the bits that are common across the various cultures and then building a a Celtic practice or they have built a, a Celtic practice on the bones of that, basically. That would be my understanding of it. So I would like to point out that people who practice Celtic neo-shamanism are not shamans. That is a specific title that is, I believe, appropriative to use, especially in a financial context or in a way that's you know benefiting you at the expense of indigenous tribes or indigenous peoples. You can work shamanically in this way or have a shamanic style practice or, again, look at those kind of common elements. but. Um, if you go around calling yourself a shaman, I believe that's problematic, personally. So Celtic Wicca is a very particular thing. Wicca would have started in the 40s, 50s with Gerald Gardner in the UK. And traditional Wicca is Gardnerian and later Alexandrian. Those are the two main tra- uh, like, core traditions of, of modern Wicca. And then it hit America, went on to become eclectic and a bit from here and there. And it's a bit of everything in it in many practices, either individual or or in groups. One of those directions that the Eclectic Wicca went in was to mash up Celtic beliefs or Celtic mythology and blend them with the traditional Wicca or parts of the traditional Wicca system. So that would be Celtic Wicca. There is Fairy Faith which is a very kind of loose term. Again, there's, um, I believe, there's fairy Wicked, there's various other traditions and practices and faiths and all the rest of it. Morgan Daimler is a really good one to look at in a modern context for real information on fairies morgan's work is excellent is really second to none i honestly couldn't recommend anybody else's to be honest particularly because i know where morgan is coming from with the irish traditions and that there's a lot of crap out there around those fairy faith traditions Uh, whether that's irish or scottish or, or whatever you're having yourself um do start with daimler's work if you're interested in that And then Neo-Druidism, there are multiple different organizations which are Neo-Druid. And this kind of branch of Celtic Neo-Paganism would have started with some of the Druidic revivals, revivalism in probably in the 1800s. And it would have been upper class Englishmen who decided that this was a kind of a cool thing to do. And that was the start of some of that Neo-Druidism. And there are various other traditions for them, and you'll find lots. I like the work of Emma Restel Orr, and I'm not really familiar enough with anybody else's to recommend or not the work, because I have really stayed away from neo-Druidism. It's quite problematic for me, in some ways, it's, it's quite appropriative even, but there, there are a lot of people working in it now, come to it very well-intentioned and are just working, you know, with what's there. But going back to its origins, it would have been hugely appropriative by English and American usually. If you do want to look at neo-Druidism, start with Emma Russell, who is English, but her work in that I've encountered it through the years is interesting at least, and it seems to be very respectful to the native traditions. For whatever that's worth for you, take it or leave it. Okay, so while I'm recommending, um, please do go over to my books and blog. There's a whole load of resources over on my blog. There's a mailing list which sends out authentic Irish resources every week, and that is at ie. that's L-O-R-A. O B or I-E. There's a rash of people calling me Lorna currently. Please stop that. My name is Laura L-O-R-A. I'm the founder of the Irish Pagan School, which you'll find www.irishpaganschool.com. And there are multiple free and paid classes up there that you can avail of. You enrol and then all your courses are in one place, just like any online uh, learning academy. So do feel free to go over and check that out and Kuramaga for your time and your attention.